Hey everybody, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Storm Warning Podcast. I'm Jacob. I'm Chris. I'm Asia. So after this past week, I think we had a lot of happy Hurricanes fans out there. Not a lot of strife going on, no problems with the team, winning a ton of games, not letting in any goals, just as we expected. Everything's fine in Raleighwood and Charlotte. Yeah, literally nothing is wrong at all. What, what's going on? What's been happening? Everything. Everything's exploding. Yeah, just blow the team up. It's a Facebook what comment team? section. <laughs> in, in all honesty, the teams look pretty bad, but I we'll we'll break it down. But I think the consensus here is give it a little time. Yeah. So for those that are not familiar with our personalities, which I think is everyone, because this is just our fourth episode, all of that was complete sarcasm. Well, Chris, I think what you're forgetting is the only people listening are like two of our friends or my mom. Fair point. Alright, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just kind of go in order of the games last week. Uh, we can start with Carolina and Anaheim. Yeah, that, that game was horrible. Uh, not a game that they should have lost. I thought the forecheck was bad throughout the first period. Forecheck uh, was bad. Defense was uncharacteristically awful. Right after the Anaheim, Anaheim game, I did want to give them a pass, because a little bit of a pass, because... It was the second day of a back-to-back, you know, second day of a West Coast road trip. It's against the Ducks, and for whatever reason, historically, during this, you know, past few years, the Ducks have given us problems. They were also starting a goalie who had, I think, his fifth or sixth start, and I'm drawing a blank on the goalie's name at the moment. Uh, Dostal, right? Dostal, yes. Uh, And for whatever reason, under Rod Brendamore, if you put a goalie in his first year out there against the Canes, all of a sudden... They stand on their head and become a Vesna candidate. I think the Canes do deserve, I don't want to say a little bit of credit, but I'll say wiggle room. They were coming off a of back-to-back. They are probably still dealing with the jet lag thing. L.A. was very much of that back-to-back. I'll say the A game. We did start our backup after all. So I said so last week. It very much was a trap game for us. Don't like how prophetic that was, but for this game in particular, it's hard for me to really get too angry at the team with, fatigue and all that right uh, and also in this game i've seen a lot of people point to the orlov plus or minus he was on the ice for two empty net goals also plus minus is a garbage stat yeah, that's what it, that's going to be my next point is that i do not like plus or minus as a team stat or sorry as an individual stat that is very much a team stat in my opinion to me expected goals goals per 60 saves above average those give you a better indicator of a team's performance, not plus or minus. Okay, but they didn't have Microsoft Excel back in the 50s when they came up with plus minus and what stats to put on player cards, so... That's fine, but, you know, they also sent people to the moon without those stuff, sorry. Okay, but literally, like, that's what all the people who were good at math were doing back then, so Fair. we can't... Fair, they, they were busy building rocket ships, not watching hockey, okay. Yeah, very much so, but... Priorities, man. Yeah, I, I think my only other takeaways from that game, apart from... Orlov and D'Angelo being uniquely bad would be Stallwine still looks good out there for checking. Doing, they're not going to produce offensively like the other lines, but they, no. they do what they need to do, and they, they've had a good season so far, I think. And Yeah, that's very much a role line, and they play their role very well. If you're expecting them to do anything more than be a good shutdown line and forecheck aggressively, your hopes are way too high. Yep. Yeah, and I, I thought Tara Biden had a good game. I think he's having a really good bounce back year so far. I think you've seen him be like the net front guy on a couple of goals where you're like, oh, well, why wasn't he playing the net front better? And then you remember 
oh, that's a winger covering for his defenseman. Because he's defensively aware enough, he's getting to the front of the net. And when he's a net front guy and there are two guys in front of the net, everybody else is behind it, you can only do so much. Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. That's but, a carryover from the Kings game. Um, yeah. But with Tavo, um, is he having a good bounce back year or is he having a good contract year? I, I, Could I, be hope, both. I hope to God they resign him in part because. Or in, entirely because he's he's my guy. I yeah, the meme him. economy would take a huge hit if we get rid of Tavo. So whether it's a contract year or a bounce back year, I'm just going to enjoy it for the season. Beyond that, that's Waddell's job, not mine. My job is to, as a fan, cheer for who they put on the ice. Uh, or well, except for if you start messing up on defense, <clears throat> Tony D'Angelo. Then you know my job is to to rag on you. Everybody, any other thoughts for that game? Uh, do we want to move on to San Jose? Burn the tape. Yeah, well, I don't think you necessarily have to burn the tape. And the reason I say that is before the empty netters, they did fight back to get, you know, get back within one goal, which before the wheels fell off, which is going to be a, a theme for this episode of the podcast with the game recaps. So I don't think you necessarily burn the tape from that. But yeah, you, you don't dwell on it. You just take what you can from it and move on. Yeah. So San Jose game bounced back a little bit here with a 6-3 win. Good third period where they had four goals. Aho, this was the first game he was out. He was out with an upper body injury. Yep. And Anderson left the game early, took a puck to the helmet. I think fairly obvious concussion or concussion symptoms. And they had Terabinen starting as your first-line center, which, again, having a good year, but not a first-line center. I thought he did the job okay. Yeah. Not ideal scenario, but I don't think he, in that game or since, has been a dumpster fire. Yeah, my comment more is... I, I think if you're a championship contender, which the Hurricanes are, you don't want Tavo Terabine playing center on your first line. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's a he, I, he's a good winger, but I, I don't want him centering my first line. Right, but these aren't ideal conditions, so you got to make do with what you have. And I think Rod's going to trust Terabine over someone like Jarvis because he's a known quantity on defense. It also works, too, when you're less playing San Jose Sharks and more so the San Jose Barracuda, so... But yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. If this is a scenario come playoff time, I am I'm not buying third round tickets, let's put it that way. Right. If it's first round and Terravines are one C I'm making plans for late May. Yeah, yeah. I might not even buy second round. They may surprise me, but it's not a recipe for sustained long term success. Yeah, and I, I think too, one nice thing through these games as you really saw in the San Jose game, is everybody who's needed to step up with scoring being Jarvis Kotkaniemi, Natchez, Aravainen, they've all been doing so. Also, elite defensive, or elite offensive defenseman, Jacob Slavin. Don't yeah. forget him, too. He, oh, acti- yeah. he activated on the rush in this game and had a good shorthanded goal. You saw him get another goal last night in Colorado. Pesci um, also had a goal in the San Jose game, too. So all, all the defensive defensemen were activating that game. Yeah. Jacob Slavin actually leads the NHL points by defenseman. He has three goals, four assists. Just give him the Norse now. I, I, I would love to see the Jacob Slavin Norse campaign happen. Yeah, same. Uh, just to circle back to one thing, we talked about KK being the center. Uh, for me, it's a little bit interesting they didn't give Jarvis that look. Jarvis was drafted as a center. Uh, he played center predominantly in junior. So for me, I wonder if that's a matter of, is that not the ultimate goal for Jarvis to be the center, or is this just a case of, we need to work with what we've got. 
we still want him in a prime scoring role, and we don't want him overexposed just yet because first line center is definitely a choice to put a guy for his center debut at the NHL. Not everyone can be Connor Bedard, so I'm wondering if it just has to do with that too. So I, I think it more has more to do with the defensive responsibilities of the center and Rod's system, and Taravainen's known more for his defense and pass first mentality than a shoot first mentality. There, Where, there. Whereas the wingers are. He expects them to be more of the shooters. And plus, I think having Teravine centering Natchez and Bunting, and then KK centering Jarvis, and I'm drawing a blank. The the winger pairings they've been using have been Jarvis, Bunting, and then... Oh, no, Jarvis, Nason is, I think... What yes, Nason, yes. Because you get your two net front guys... Uh, on different lines. On two different lines. You have two defensively sound uh, centers uh, in Teravine and and KK, and then you have two offensive-minded centers in Jarvis and Natchez. So that kind of balances out your top two lines, and then you have your shutdown line as your third line, and then the random fourth line. I will say, too, Bunting and Nason have been very good goal front guys. Oh, yes. Both on the power play and even strength. Um, I So far, and granted, I'm not saying Bunting has been a world changer, but I've, I've liked that pick up a lot. Nice amount of like sandpaper to have on one of your scoring lines. You uh, absolutely can't have too much of it, but he's been perfect blend. Yeah, I, I like look at a guy like D'Angelo who took a misconduct in the San Jose game. Right. Like yeah. he he's made some dumb mistakes, but bringing in Bunting, he's done exactly what they wanted, which is power play help, net front, and a little bit of toughness. Yeah, was it the uh, San Jose or Seattle game where no, it was Seattle. Uh, where Lemieux showed you why Lemieux was brought in. Yeah. Because some guy tried to, you know, take him down from behind and he was not having it. To be fair, I think that fight was mainly in retaliation to the Lemieux hit from that game. Fair. That that being, I I think we've covered a lot of San Jose. Do you want to move on? Yeah, we we can move to Seattle. So that that game sucked. Yeah, that was brutal. That That, that and the Anaheim game were both bad. I think the San Jose game and the... Colorado game, even though they lost the Colorado game, they look mostly fine for those two. Yeah, there, there was about uh, not moving too far ahead from the Colorado game. There was about ten minutes there where they forgot how to play hockey, and that that was the game. Yeah, Seattle was just bad from puck drop to but end. You, you could tell the Kraken were out forechecking them. Oh yeah. To be fair, is I watch a little bit of my cousin lives in Seattle, so I watch a little bit of the Kraken. They definitely run a more run and gun game. But they, they four-check hard. Yeah. That's part of their game, and I think their record doesn't show how good the team is. Uh, I think the team, you know, I think they still have that forward depth. I think, you know, AJ, I don't, you're giving me a little bit of a face here. Oh, I was just stretching my head oh, there. Okay. I, I know, I think we've discussed outside the podcast about how Seattle's due for a little mean regression, considering how good their shooting percentage was last year. Yeah. But I, I still think they're a deep team. I think they're a wild-card team in the West. Oh, yeah, and I was calling for their regression. That wasn't them going back to the bottom of the division like they were in their first season. It was more so, like you said, that wild card spot, that middle of the pack spot. Yeah, but I, I think generally the theme we've seen out of the defense this year is really bad net front presence. Um, you know, the number of times where two guys chase somebody behind their net or they vacate to go play somebody on the point uh, is pretty inexcusable. I think we saw that in full force in this game. Um, yes, overall lack of discipline. Um, 
anyone who's played any level of hockey can tell you that two defensemen going behind the goal line to chase a guy is a cardinal sin. You have sixth grade double-A guys who know not to do that, so having your third pairing do that once or twice a night is a little bit alarming. And notably with this game, too, what you had was Ronson get pulled, and in all fairness, I think to Ronta and Anderson and to Coach Hetkov now, you look at their save percentages and they're horrible, but it's the problem isn't that they're you know not saving what they need to save. The problem is that you're having so many grade-A scoring chances with guys. Like, again, I can't recount how many times Tara Vinan's been the net front guy where he's a winger, or even if he is playing center, like, you should have a defenseman player that Right, where he's been one of the main guys back, yeah. So, in hockey, you know, there's two types of goalie poles. There's the, he is playing badly and blowing this game for us. Getting him out is a net positive. And then there's also, we're playing awfully, we're getting blown out right now. This isn't fair to our goalie, and I also need to send a message to the rest of the team that their play is... Make, is getting someone pulled, is causing someone to get pulled from this game. And to me, the Ronta pull in the Seattle game felt like the latter. It felt very much like a, you need to get your game together to the rest of the team. I, I do think, and again, Coach Etkov was called up after Anderson got hurt. It makes sense. I do think he's looked like our best goalie this year. I, I don't think Anderson nor Ronta's been bad, but you've seen Coach Etkov make some saves where it's like, okay, that, that probably should have been a goal. Yeah, so I think with uh, Ranta and Anderson, at this point in their career, I think they're both 1B starters. I think they're great tandem starters, but that's the thing, is they're both 1B. If you have two 1Bs, that can work, but when you have a guy like Kachetkov kicking the door down, neither of them are going to look as good in comparison. Yeah, and the, the 1B thing only works if you play defense like Carolina typically does. Exactly. The problem is they, they've been horrible on defense to start this year. And First pairings look good. I, I want yeah. to Slave and Burns all defend. I think they had a little bit of an off night in Colorado. But again, I think when you're down your top two forwards, I, I think you know, you're due for a little bit of an off night in Colorado playing the Avalanche. Especially when I thought even strength they looked fine. It was just their penalty kill stuff. Yeah, and Colorado is up to that. I think we are we're moving along to Colorado, but um, yeah, trying trying to forget the Seattle game as quickly as yeah. possible. We should also probably be saying the scores of these games as we're reading them out loud. So the Colorado game was a four to six loss, and yeah, I would agree with you that it was really just special teams. That Colorado power play is automatic, and there's only so much we can do. And Stay out of the box. Even then, their offense is so good that it's a how do we defend this? You only do they can only you can only have so many opportunities before you just have to take a penalty against an offense that good. Yeah, and I, the things I liked from that game were, I thought the forecheck for the first time in a long time was consistent throughout the game. Same, it looked much more aggressive. Yeah, I thought Kochetkov looked good in net. I think most of those, like, one or two of those goals, I, like the McKinnon power play goal, where he was just deking past Slavin, and I was like, okay, well, Slavin's playing near-perfect defense, Kochetkov was in position. You, you're not It's McKinnon. Ever, yeah, you're not ever going to stop that. I will say of that whole game, McKinnon looked incredible. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like that play you were just referencing, that's one of those things where he's doing something that only one in five players in the league can do. So at that point, you just do what you think is best and hope and pray. Tip your hat and move on. So I will say I'm not nearly as angry at that game as I was like Seattle the night before. 
I thought Coach Hetkov, like, save percentage will tell a different story. I thought he looked all right in net. He made a few aggressive poke checks, playing the puck more aggressively. Uh, made a couple of, like, athletic saves. You know, I, I want to see more work from him on an NHL level. But I, so far, he's been really fun to watch. Right. It should also be noted, too, with the Colorado game, Brett Pesci did not play. Uh, he uh, Didn't he take a shot to the head or something? Or no, that was someone else. Did. That was Anderson. It was Anderson, yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly what happened with Pesci. I will say that I think Chatfield filled in just fine. Yeah, Chatfield filled in just fine, but that was leading me to a point I want to get to with what I think is kind of the theme with this road trip in general is you know, Carolina being a depth team is a team that's built to win matchups. We're not built to win games based on our stars doing cool stuff five times a game to score goals then. We're built on winning the matchup game. 80% of the time and having our goals generated that way. But when your top two forwards are hurt and your middle pairing guy is also hurt, that's forcing everyone to have to play higher up than they normally would. You look at Tavo Teravainen, for example. He's one of the few guys who's not playing up a line higher than he normally would. He's now the premier guy on his line, though. Every single guy is basically now forced into a situation where they're either playing higher than they normally would or they are the most exposed and best guy on their line. So it just kind of seeing the issues we've been having, unfortunately makes a little bit of sense and should be remedied as Aho, Sveshnikov, Pesci start coming back. Yeah, I, I think we, we've also spoken about how defensive timing has been such an issue on this road trip. Yeah, but th that's league-wide. That just takes time to get back for defensemen in general. And I, yeah, I'd expect Shea and Pesci to be better than they have been, but... Again, like the third pairing, it makes sense as to why it's been such a disaster. You have a new guy to the system, and the other guy is Tony D'Angelo. I, I think a big thing there is you have to consider you know, playing Chatfield on that pairing and moving D'Angelo to a power play-only spot, and maybe eventually when Sveshnikov comes back, even phasing him out. I, I don't know what you guys think about what D'Angelo's role should be on the team. But that's where I'm at, where I think you've seen Chatfield be able to play anywhere in the lineup and play, you know, for a guy that makes 700K very well. So my opinion on that is I would rather see Orlov or Shea uh, QB the second power play because then you just, you can sit TDA in the press box, use him as an emergency quote-unquote defenseman because his value that he brings on the power play currently is not enough to offset his defensive liabilities. And I think what Orlov or Shea can do on the power play, while not to the same level as TDA, their defensive acumen is a lot better. And then yeah. you can slot Chatfield up in the third pair where he belongs. Do you consider going 11-7 and seven at that point? Uh, this is when Svetch comes back. Uh, or yeah, I'd rather play Callahan Burke over TDA at this moment. I like TDA for what he does on the PP2 and only for what he does on the PP2. He is not, he's okay in the Ozone 5 on 5, absolute liability in his own zone in any context. So it's one of those things I really only want him in the lineup if A, we're running 11 and 7 and he's only there to take Ozone draws and quarterback the PP2, or if it's we have two plus injuries in the D core. Like if we are running six defensemen, I don't think I want him in the lineup anymore, at no. least until he's gotten it together, proven he deserves to be in the lineup, because again, some of the defensive lapses he, he has been making are literal, like, middle school level 
mistakes. And there was one play in particular last night in during the Colorado game, so it's it's fresh. Uh, TDA was at the blue line, going into the offensive zone, went to dump the puck in. It hit some Colorado player in the States. I don't remember who the Colorado player was. TDA actually looked down and then looks like he turned his back to the play. I'm assuming he expected it to go, uh, you know, out out of the zone. That's the only, that's the only reasonable expe- expe- explanation for why you would turn your back to a player you just dumped the puck into the skates of. But then he just stopped and stood there. That that should not happen at that level. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. No, I have to say I disagree a little bit in that. It shouldn't happen at any level of hockey. Fair, but if you've got like peewees in a full full face mask, then and they stop, yeah, that's fine. Oh, I know. I'm yeah, that's a, oh, yeah. a five year old, you're just thrilled they stopped and right. fall over. Correct. I, I, I'm just taking the chance to dunk on Tony D'Angelo. Fair. Yeah, very fair. Uh, you guys want to talk about a player that I think everybody likes? Slavin. Well, we we can talk about him all day, but I was going to suggest maybe spending a little more time on Fyodor Chekhov. Yeah, his so his underlying numbers are not great at the he, moment. He passed the eye test. Though. Yeah, yes. eye test, he's looked fine. He hasn't really. He had, it, all the goals he's let in, I can't fault him for. No, like the the one off the skate last night that you can't do anything about that. Um, yeah, the defense going back again. <laughs> that was that was a McKinnon pass, right? I believe it was. Yeah, it's a shot. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I. I I think Kachekov should be playing above Ronta at the moment. Yeah, keep him up. Get a third or fourth from Tampa and move on. Lift one of Ronta or Anderson and just be done with it. I, I I said it last week. I will give them Ronta for points. At what point, though, do you think the team is actually convinced, like, we have to have this guy stay up? I'd say maybe, like, five, six games of good NHL play because at a certain point, too, he's got to force the question, not necessarily of, who makes the team better, but also what's best for his development. Because, yeah, the NHL isn't a developmental league, but at a certain point, you don't gain anything from stonewalling AHLers night in, night out. Or fighting them. Or fighting them. Or scoring on them. All of which he's done. Yeah, he is literally dummying that league. He is putting up Gordie Howe hat tricks in that league. So keep him up. And And then maybe he'll start putting Gordie Howe hat tricks in the NHL. I'd love that. Yeah, I, I... Yeah, I think we all agree, and I, I think it's going to happen this year where he forces his way into the lineup. And just as the season's grinding on, you know, Tampa keeps losing games. Each game they lose is going to be more and more pressure to just lift that mid-round pick for one of Ronta or Anderson. They should start Ronta against Tampa on Tuesday, and if they win, be like, hey, we beat you with this guy. Do you want him now? Honestly, yeah. That would be the worst idea in the world. Speaking of Tampa, that is our next upcoming game. I think uh, we should, uh, before we get to upcoming games, probably talk about the Ajo injury a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. So, Ajo got hurt in the Anaheim game, upper body injury. It, see, from what I understand, him and Anderson are skating, and it's more of a day-to-day thing. He was doubtful for the Colorado game. So, I don't think it's anything major. But, again, him and Sveshnikov are out. I think Ajo probably comes back for the homestand. Uh, if, I, if I had to guess, I have no idea what the injury is. And then Callahan Burke, who we received from the Avalanche for Caleb Jones in that trade in the offseason, got called up. I, I think he did fine. Yeah, I, I, yeah didn't, I, I didn't notice him, which is as a fourth liner that was called up from the AHL is what you want. Exactly. exactly. What you want. Yeah, I, I think 
Ajo comes back, you'll see the team kind of get back to form a little bit, and then Sveshnikov come back, that's when you really want to see him make a push. Especially from a matchups perspective, those guys coming back draws attention off other guys. Natchez and Jarvis both not having two guys stable to them in the zone all the time should open them up more. And Absolutely. I also start to feel a lot more like Kane's hockey soon. Yeah, and I think Ajo being out severely hampers our penalty kill. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And, and I, I think we're also too just waiting on the bottom pair to get up to speed, up to timing. Every NHL defense is having those woes right now where you've got some of the defense who are just, they're getting up to speed. Timing is such a big part of defense and hockey, especially in the NHL. So you just need to redevelop that sense of timing. And especially our third pairing, you have technically two new guys learning the system, learning how to play together. So Yeah, I almost, and I'm not a coach by any stretch of the imagination, but I almost wonder if it would be make some sense to split up the, the third pair, uh, well, if we sit TDA on the bench and then roll something like uh, either split up, I don't necessarily want to split up Slavin and Burns, but like Burns and Chatfield played pretty well when Slavin was hurt last season. Um, so that could be a really solid pair. You could put Orlov and Slavin because Slavin usually will cover anybody's de- Like, I feel like all three of us could play defense with Slavin because we don't have to do anything because Slayton's going to do it all. Um, and they even that at offense this season. Uh, and then you keep Pesci and Shea together. So, yeah, you're playing either one of Burns or Slayton down on the third pair. But it allows you to have someone who is very familiar with the system in Jacob Slavin do what he's done with Dougie Hamilton, do what he's done with TDA, and do what he's done with Burns and help those defensemen get acclimated to the system. Because last year in October and November, Burns did not look well in our system at all. Uh, it took him probably to about December for him to get acclimated, and that was playing alongside Slavin, whereas Orlov was playing alongside TDA. I would want to split it up, and that's just a matter of making one line worse to get other lines acclimated. It just doesn't feel like the new two. We have one line that's, especially our first pairing, that's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and they, they, they already look like they're up to game yeah, speed. Yeah, they're up everything. to game speed. Don't. Minus the Colorado game. There was, there was a few defensive, I don't want to say lapses, but there was some uncharacteristic uh, Slavin and Burns both getting beat. It's you know? Colorado. I know. It's the grind of the road trip. I can forgive one game. but And, and it, it wasn't like it was, a, it was a close game. It was a good yeah, game. Yeah, that too. But you, you take out a few Colorado power plays where they just kind of more or less nanade on us. Yeah. I, I think it was – I, I had fun watching that game. So, I also uh, may have had a few drinks in me, so <laughs> – think that that made it a little bit more fun. Absolutely, but... Yeah, and it was nice seeing the other team miss the empty net for a change. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of having drinks, though, let's hope this upcoming Tampa game doesn't drive us all to drink like these past couple games have. I, I'm actually optimistic about this Tampa game. I think you see, I think they're 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. They haven't had yep. a good start to the year either. Not at all. And I know the Canes are famous for making bad goaltenders look good, but their goaltending has not been very good, and... I think if Coach Hetkoff plays, I, although I do think Ronka probably gets that start, um, if they play Coach Hetkoff, I could see it being a situation where, like, hey, the difference in goaltending is enough. Yeah, we're not going to find out who's playing goal until the very last minute. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially both guys have played a lot recently, so it's going to be a let him rest and see who looks better day of. Right, yeah. Brendan Moore Mazzotti, the goaltending coach for the Canes, will 
make that decision as close to game time as they can and also to kind of, you know, do a little gamesmanship with Tampa. The one thing that concerns me with Tampa is, yes, they have not looked great with Vaz being out except for on the power play. Their power play still looks pretty good. And as we saw last night against another team that has a really capable power play, that is not a recipe for success at the moment. Yeah, I, I do have my trepidations there, but I think Tampa's not a good I, I just think straight up Colorado's better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Colorado is a Stanley Cup final favorite. Tampa is a playoff favorite. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd say, too, despite that, uh, game being on the road, the next two are at home, and it's against Seattle and San Jose for weaker teams who we just played. Granted, we, we got destroyed by Seattle, but I, I think having last change against both those teams, potentially having Ajo back, you can start to see them kind of like get on and off swing again. You can hide D'Angelo and Orlov a little bit more. Um, hide D'Angelo in the press box. Honestly, yeah. Hide, hide D'Angelo in the AHL. Hide him on waivers. But... Yeah, I, I'm optimistic for Tampa, and if that's not the bounce back game, then the homestand after. And then on Monday, they have a game against Philly, which Philly's looked good so far. They've been winning some games, but I think at the same time, you have to think it's a just a talent disparity at that point. We can probably cover that Philly episode next episode, that Philly game next episode. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's where it kind of lands, but I just wanted to say, like, hey. Oh, yeah, absolutely, definitely an easy, winnable game. Yeah. And I don't want to get too redundant, too, about talking about like, the guys on these teams being that, like, we just played two out of three of them. Yeah. And, I mean, Tampa, everybody knows. And then, Billy, I don't know that there's anybody. I mean, Sean Couturier is back, which is big for them. Carter Hart could steal a game, but that's about it. You think Waddell could fleece Billy one more time and trade D'Angelo for Konecki straight I'd up? Love, I'd love that, but the NHL will probably block that again. Tortorella would explode. I mean... Tortorella's going to explode at any 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 reason. So but why? Could you, know. you imagine him getting D'Angelo back and be like, I, I, I healthy scratched you for like a whole season. <laughs> You're back. He, he'd probably run up to Danny Briere and sucker punch him. Yeah, absolutely. And then flip a table in the press conference. Has he done that before? No, but he he's come close. Yeah. I love when he tried to fight um, Calgary's coach. Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. What was that when he was in Vancouver? He was in Vancouver. Yeah, but. Go coach uh, the Blue Jackets. The, the Tortorella-Brindamore fight coming to you in a week and a half. Tortorella would get his butt kicked. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes, he would. But I think that's all we've got for upcoming games, right? Yeah, I, th- I think now that we're kind of in the run of the season. Silly season. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of, like, Hurricanes news is just, like, injuries. Absolutely, yeah. What happened in the game. If there's, if there's news beyond that, it's probably bad news, so. Yeah. I hit on that all the like depth forwards are scoring, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So, you guys like North Carolina Rise Up by Pete Pablo? At a Canes game, yes. So, it's fair to say you like goal songs. Absolutely. Buffalo Sabres are doing something a little different with their goal songs. Uh, individual goal songs per player. Yeah, second year they're doing that, which I, I love that. I love walk-up songs in baseball, so feels just feels like the right move for hockey to do something that works in other sports. Yeah, it, it, so I I watch a lot of the darts over in England. They do something similar with the walk-on songs. You know, it, it's wait. Do you, do you have a darts walk-on song? I do not, because I am nowhere near that good. I was really hoping you did. No, at my level, that would just be sad. Is what it would be. Same thing as like wearing like a tinted visor, like a beerly hockey game. Well, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you guys want to go over some of the uh, goal songs that the Sabres have this year? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we need to hit the entire list. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to read through it all, but some of the yeah. ones that stuck out to me that I thought was funny, uh, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme by ABBA for Victor Olofsson. Great goal song. Is he Swedish? He is. I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. The whole ABBA thing. Yeah. Do you guys like ABBA? I do. Uh, it's I, not a band I will seek out, but if they come on, I'm not going to play. Not going to turn it. Yeah, I mean they don't make music for me, but the, right. they're clearly gifted. They I like that. They have bops. I'm not going to deny that. So. My favorite uh, is Henri Yoki Haru's uh, "The Trooper" by Iron Maiden. Being a big metal fan, Maiden three. Absolutely. How many times have you seen them? Zero. I've seen them twice. Nice. Very good. For me, I got to go with. Uh, Jeff Skinner breaking free from the High School Musical soundtrack. Uh, that was that's fantastic. Is Jeff Skinner a troll? He might be. Absolutely, he's a troll. Am uh, I a troll? A little bit. Yeah. I think more of a goblin. I think Narco goblin by Timmy goblin. Trumpet for Jacob Bryston is also a good one too. That's just a nice like meme song right now. Did, it, didn't Peyton Cribs have a funny one? He did. Yeah. Um, I asked you the TikTok song. Didn't the guy get beat up by Sidney Crosby? He did in a preseason game. Ouch. I want to rock. It's also a good one. Yeah, uh, just a, just as a general goal song, just the, you know the the vibe that gives out. I I think "Humble" for Rasmus Dallin is a great one too. Did uh did the goalies get to pick goal song? I don't, I don't think, think so. So, so like if there's a goalie the goal, right what happens? The the sound guy just stares at his hands and not sure what to do. He should be able to pick his own song. Well, I'd love it if they did like. For like the goalie song, it's the song they play at like the end of the game for a shutout or something like that would be cool. That would be pretty cool. Not not that the Sabers are going to get a lot of those this year. Oh God, no. And that's not a slight to their goalies. It's just not the game they play. No, it's it's not a game a whole lot of teams play. Uh, if y'all had goal, like if y'all played the league that did goal songs, what would it be? So mine would be uh, the Punisher Do Holy Wars, uh, the first song off of Rust in Peace by Megadeth. That's a good one. Just because of the of the opening riff. Would you would you let any Mustang vocals get in there, or would you, would you just have it be the instrumental section? Probably just the instrumental section. If, if any of you listeners haven't heard Megadeth before, Dave Mustaine's a very good guitar player. I I think he may be one of the worst singers I've ever heard. He is technically good, meaning he can hit the notes. His voice is horrible. Yeah, I, I, I don't like a person to me. Yeah, the timbre of his voice is just terrible. He, he's gotten better recently, but... I think he quit drinking. Yeah, quit drinking, and then he got a lot better. But yeah, Dave Mustaine is a noted um, not-nice guy. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, what your song be? Uh, you Suffer by Napalm Death. It is the shortest song of all time at 1.316 seconds. Napalm Death is a British grindcore band. What grindcore kind of is, is not really something I enjoy, or I think most people enjoy, but it's kind of like if, if you like death metal and hardcore punk. You kind of take like the intensity of a death metal song and the, the speed of a hardcore punk song and combine them to the point where you get like 30 second songs that all you can hear is cymbals. I think You Suffer is funny because it's it's a one second song, which is just two guitar chords, a yeah. couple cymbal hits, and the guy screaming. So could you imagine like if, if you were a goalie and got scored on, you hear the goal horn, and then you just hear... You're still going to hear the goal horn. The like, goal horn's going to be going longer after that. Yeah. But... Most goal horns are longer than 1.36 seconds. Yeah. How I have it in my mind is you play the goal horn, and then you wait a few seconds to just play You Suffer, and the goalie's confused, everybody's confused, and, and then, like, 
the goalies get asked about it after the game, and then do you know who they're thinking about the rest of the night? Me. I, I will say, to circle back to the, the game recaps, watching the Colorado game, uh, I got tired of hearing the whoop whoop. I like the whoop whoop. I don't like their goal song. So, hearing the whoop whoop six times in one night, what felt like six times in one period, was too much. And that's why I like team player specific goal songs to like break that up too. Yeah. It's like anyone, any Detroit, Vancouver, St. Louis fan can just talk about how like you hear Chelsea Dagger in public today, it makes you want to stab an individual. Yeah, but for that same reason as a Hawks fan, I don't want them to ever change away from that song because it was like the iconic song that got played a lot during our cup run. I think it would be cool if someone just deleted Chelsea Dagger off the internet, but for me, I'd have to say my goal song, I have two, a serious answer and a meanie answer, called the Jeff Skinner special. Uh, both songs I'd want to go for like a hype thing, like have something the crowd can get into. My serious one, I'd go It's So Easy by Guns N' Roses. Just a good hype song, also having the line It's So Easy being repeated while I'm celebrating a goal feels fitting. And then my meme answer is Big Time Rush by Big Time Rush because it loosely describes a hockey game and it's a meanie song. Crowd will love it and it just kind of messes with the other team. Yeah, and you're playing barely defenseman. That's really probably going to be the only time you actually can score. Exactly, yeah. It's the one time a year I can get hyped. So very much am the Mark Stahl of Beer League just out there doing cardio every night. Zero, zero, zero shot line. And to anybody who doesn't know AJ... He, he's actually describing his real beer league stats. But does Mark Stahl actually... Do, four pims. One game, four pims. <laughs> but does Mark Stahl actually do cardio? Or is he just like... I mean, did you see his playoff stat line last year? It was literally that. Like zero, 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 ten pims. I, I understand, but... That's bad. But in order to do cardio, your heart rate has to get above a certain level, which means you have to be moving at a certain pace. And his pace is not what That's I would call true. swift. Mark Stahl's not doing cardio anymore. You're right. Once Stahl is not. He's like a mall right. walker at this point. Who, if I told you ten years ago that, hey, eventually Jordan Stahl is going to be the best Stahl brother in the league, and it's not going to be close. I don't think anybody would have believed. Oh, not at all. No. I would have thought it would have been um, Charlotte Checkers legend Jared Stahl. At one point in time, Jared, Jordan, and Mark were all on the Canes. No, not Mark. Eric. Eric, Jared, and Jordan. Yeah, is that one iconic picture. But speaking of Jared Stahl and specifically the Charlotte Checkers in the minor leagues, uh, there's some news going on with the players assigned to the ECHL. Yeah, this is a little hurricane specific, but it's also a little bit of a league wide note just because it's never happened before. But you look at players like uh, Honker, Mill Gunter, or Felix Ungersorn got signed back to the SHL, but he would have been assigned to the AHL had we had an affiliate. But some of the players that got assigned to the Norfolk Admirals, who are the ECHL affiliate of the Carolina Hurricanes, are choosing not to report and just go back to Europe. I, I think it makes sense. Like if these guys are like, oh well, I'm going to play better competition, probably get you know paid pretty well, be able to live in my native country, makes sense for them. But it's just kind of like a weird standpoint from where it's like, hey, these players should have somewhere to go in the AHL, but they just don't. So I don't know if the paid better thing is true, because I think as of right now, all these guys still have contracts with the Carolina Hurricanes. It's just a matter of, are they, is this being treated as loans? Did they sign new contracts with Europe? And I, which I don't think it's the case, because if that was, the Hurricanes would have filed for termination or something. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just is or guys showing up and then deal having to deal with the whole cluster of a situation in Chicago and being like, yeah, I'm not going to the ECHL because you know, with anything like hockey or professional sports related, I always try to think of how I'd feel if the equivalent happened with my job. And you know, imagine you take a new job somewhere else and you show up day of and they actually want you to do work that's an entire step below what you had signed on to do. Yeah, it's basically like being hired to manage a team and they're like, hey, we just need you to fill out forms all day. Literally, exactly. Which, to be fair, is what a lot of managers probably do. Yeah. No, I, I think this is, I don't want to say like a formal agreement between Waddell and the players, but they're both aware and like yeah. kind, of, kind of, you know, have a handshake on it. That They probably had a very frank conversation about the likelihood of them getting caught up in the season and that was not... The likelihood was probably not enough for them to play in the ECHL, so they elected to go over to Europe. Uh, I do think Europe's seasons run shorter, so there's a possibility they can come back for the playoff taxi squads. I believe so, yeah. So, yeah I think a big point of emphasis is it's like it's just a bad situation. Like I don't, I don't blame anybody involved. Oh, I blame the Wolves. A whole one hundred percent blame the Wolves. I, I'm basically saying I do not blame the players. No, like if I, I would not play in the ECHL if I was assigned there. And we haven't heard anything about the Canes pursuing any termination or trying to force the issue on the contract, so it seems to be very much a... I'm sure Waddell talked to the players like, hey, we're going to sign you here, don't want to show up, fine. Yeah. Something else that's fine, and I think uh, Ottawa fans will enjoy, is Josh Norris being back. I, I think he had, he's a golden assist so far, but I, right. you look at Ottawa, and AJ, I know you, you just watched him play Detroit. How did, how did Norris look? Uh, he looked pretty good, a uh, little bit. He had his moments of rustiness, but then he also had moments where he looked really good. There were stretches that game of the Ottawa-Detroit game yesterday where Ottawa just straight up controlled stretches of play, especially on even strength for bits, and he definitely contributed that. Um, pulling up the stats. What's, what's, their, what's their top six look like? I imagine like first line's probably Kachuk, Struslin, um, and then probably Tarasenko. Second yeah. line's probably like... Batherson, Norris, Giroux, or something like that. Uh, yeah, Batherson, Norris, Giroux. That's right. Did Batherson play yesterday? He did. I think he did. Yeah, that's yep. For for how good of a top six they have, they should be so much better. They have I, no I, depth. That's the issue. Yeah, I get Giroux's older, and I get Tarasenko's older, but I mean, you have Kachuk, Stuchla, and Norris in your top six, like it's Detroit. Beats them on the power play. It's yeah. When all those guys can't be on the ice because penalty kill, they have no depth to kill penalties or no really like role players to kill penalties. So it's it's so weird to me too. With and I don't mean just to dump on Ottawa, but with where they are in their rebuild, that they can't like sign some of their players. I mean, part of me wonders if that's a Canadian market thing. They're they're in. They've got some cap issues. That, that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Do you mean do you, AJ? Do you mean they don't have money or that? They, they basically have to spend the cap because the pressure is always there. No, I mean, like, they can't necessarily lure guys to want to go. Oh, there. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so they may have to overpay, which, to have them play in Ottawa because of the you know, Canadian dollar. Like, if I'm a role defenseman, I'm playing in the United States more than any Canadian market any day of the week when you see how guys like Ben Sherratt or Justin Hall get treated in Montreal and Toronto, respectively. Absolutely. Um, so I, I do think there's a, they do have to overpay a little bit, and that does put them up against the cap. So, you know, it's which came first kind of scenario. But some of that's going to, I think, 
winning begets everything, I think, as Ottawa starts taking steps forward. They've had a hot start this year. Guys want to play where other stars are. We've seen it in Carolina where guys will take discounts here to play lower in the lineup. If Ottawa's stars are legit, which Stutzla, Kachuk, Sanderson so far all look to be legit, that issue should go away as time goes on. But, yeah, Josh Norris is back and has been looking good so far. Okay. Something that's... He's got two goals and an assist. Oh, Norris does? Mm-hmm. All yesterday? No, not all yesterday. Because they only scored twice yesterday. Yeah, and either of the goals yesterday? Probably both against, uh, I think, Washington? Yeah, Washington. Yeah. Um, I think Washington. I'm trying to like, scroll and pull it up. It's been so hard. Just your weekly podcast reminder, NHL, fix your app. Are you are you mad? At the app, yes. Why Why you have to be mad? It's only yeah. Anyway. Briz would be mad at the app. Something else would be that Briz would be mad about is living in Edmonton. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but Edmonton hasn't been good to start this year, and I think this is another... It's similar to Carolina, right? Like, you can panic, you can hit the panic button, but they're, they're not a good defensive team, and the fact that they've come out and have just fallen flat on defense isn't surprising. What is surprising is they haven't really been able to score either. Right. Yeah, it's the... Canes aren't playing to their identity with the defense. Edmonton's not playing to their identity with their offense. I would expect that to be fixed. The one thing is, and we don't have a lot of detail on this yet, but McDavid got hurt last night in Winnipeg. Couldn't finish the game. Um, look, my, my opinion is even without him, they're probably a fringe playoff team because they still have Leon Dreisaitl. But you, you kind of need, especially in the Pacific with um, Vegas and LA in that division, you would kind of want better playoff positioning. And then on top of that, if if he can't play the whole year, doesn't play the playoffs, and again, I don't know what the injury is, they're not cup contending. It looks like a hip injury when he exited last night. He was holding it a couple times before he left the game, like towards the end of the third. That's not the injury he had his rookie year, correct? No, that was collarbone his rookie year. Gotcha. That's like that. It was a full-on like broken collarbone. You don't so you just need to sit out. Yeah, you don't really re-aggravate a bone break like that. Gotcha. I think Edmonton, too, is being sewered a lot by they, uh, their um, goaltending and defense. Like, Dreisaitl is nine points. McDavid is eight points. They've played five games so far. So all those guys are scoring at their usual clip. It's just been I, I think getting it's, outscored. Yeah, that and then, like, getting the doors blown off of you opening night yeah, by Vancouver. Happen. And then having it happen again. Yeah. By Vancouver again. Right. And then by Philly. Yeah, like one to eight, four to three, six to one, four to one, and then three to two yesterday. So it's been a lot of high scoring games. Yeah. Somebody else who's been high scoring, Alex the Brinket, makes AJ happy. Very happy. That trade has paid off in spades. Hey, uh, Blackhawks legend. Yeah, him and Larkin yeah. have looked fantastic together. Detroit has been very hot to start the year off to the point where it is, I think, making people question their playoff projections. I think it's unsustainable, especially their power play clip. Power play clip absolutely is. One thing that's been interesting is they've gotten five-on-five scoring from other sources. Ben Sherrod's been scoring. Jeff Petrie's gotten a couple assists. Joe Valeno had two goals yesterday. So at the clip they've been on, it's absolutely not sustainable, both the scoring rate and the winning rate. Like Larkin and Dabrinkit are both top three in points in the league right now. That's not going to last. I don't think they had that potential and just were ignoring it until they unlocked it in each other. I do think, however, 
this does bring into question the element of people had been writing Detroit really in pen to be in seventh in the Atlantic Division. Including all me. three of us. Yeah, including all three of us. And I wonder how much of this hot start may be a bigger proof of concept of Eiserman's plan, especially as, like, coincidentally, AJ, Buffalo. say the line. You know what to say. Trust the Iser plan. You got to trust the Iser plan. trust the Iser plan. The Iser plan. I'm not even an Iser plan preacher. I just love the meme. But you have had other teams that haven't started the year off as hot, like both Buffalo and Florida and Pittsburgh. It's not both. All three, Buffalo, Florida, and Pittsburgh, three teams that Buffalo or that Detroit was slotted to be in the mix with are all 2-3-0. and oh, So Yeah, I feel like the brink is making uh, Ottawa Senators fans punch air at the moment. They they booed him that entire yeah they booed game. him that the entire hilarious. game. He played there one year. He played there one year. He never wanted to be there. Also, too, he never asked to be traded. All he did was say, "I only want to sign a one year contract. I'll, I'm open to a trade, though." Which is asking for a trade. Yeah, I mean, Ottawa could have kept him for one year. Ottawa could have also tried to flip him at the deadline too. Ottawa had some options, but yeah, Debrinket definitely did force the issue a little bit. But that I'm, being said. Don't give up premium assets for a guy if you're not sure he wants to stay for your team long term. Right. But it's more like so like, don't be mad at him, be mad at your GM for making that trade without calling him first. I'm also not gonna fault him. Like if you look at his trade list, it was teams that could very easily win a Stanley Cup and play in a warm sunny sunny climate, or his hometown team. Yeah. of which the only team that had the space to sign him was his hometown team. And that's not necessarily an excuse, too, because as we, one of the teams on his list happened to be Vegas. They've literally traded for guys to be over the cap before. Like, you can make that work in the NHL. So, but Yeah, I'm just referring more to his current level of production versus his level of production in Ottawa. Yeah, I also think his level of production in Ottawa, too, was where he played. He was on the second line there with not even Josh Norris because he was hurt for a lot of last year. Right now he's on the top line with Dylan Larkin, so he is playing both more minutes and with way better teammates than he was last year, but yeah, Detroit's been hot to start the year off. I don't think they're a division leader. I don't think they're a conference leader like they were last night, but they might be way stronger in the wildcard mix than we thought, so keep an eye on the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, some other hot teams are to start the year. Boston, I think, is undefeated. but They're undefeated, but they've had a cupcake schedule so far. Yeah, but in the West, uh, Colorado and Vegas are undefeated, and I've watched a couple games from both teams, and they look good. Yeah, they both look like wagons. Not surprising. They've, they've had their formula down for a couple of years. They're the last two cup winners, and they are running it back. I, I would absolutely love to see. And I, I think those teams have played in the playoffs. Conference yeah. final. Conference I, I'd love to see that again. Yeah, I, I don't one, know if I'd want to stay up to watch that. Like, I would have to stay up to watch those games, but oh my god, it would, that would it, be rough. It would be very much like, the for me, the Edmonton-Calgary uh, series a couple of years ago where they're scoring at such a clip that like, I, I, I'm i going to watch the, at least the first period before I head off to bed. Sorry. Wasn't there a game where like Calgary scored like eight goals in that series? I think it was game one. Yeah, it was Something like six to eight. Goes. I think was the, the oh, I remember that. first. Yeah. Edmonton's defense was and still is awful. Looks like you better put some air quotes around defense when talking about Edmonton. Yeah. yeah. Some, some, something defenders may be happy about is Mr. Alex Ovechkin's having a little bit of a scoring drought. I think it's eight games going back to last year. Yeah. And Washington's looked horrible this year. Well, yeah, wholeheartedly. Washington's looked horrible since the trade deadline last year. Probably slightly before that. Yeah. I, I think it's a factor of, like, look, you, ha- you have 
an old aging team with an old aging superstar. And eventually guys are going to get old enough and slow enough where it's like, hey, we can just key in on Ovechkin and make sure he doesn't score. I think that's exactly what's happening. Like Backstrom, Oshie are shadows of their of themselves. So is Ovechkin, but I think those guys are to a greater extent. It's way easier to have guys stapled on him. And there's that stat in going around. He's been held without a shot on goal so far this year. He's had shots. They've just been blocked or have not been on net because he's just had way more pressure than he has before. I think he had a he had a game recently where he didn't record a shot. And that was like the first time that had happened in three years. Oh, two, and then there was also the for the first time in his entire career, he went two straight games with no shots on goal. Yep. And you just signed Tom Wilson to a seven-year, $45 million contract. Yeah, Caps fans, how are you feeling about that? that right now? In a year or two, that's going to be a really fun deal that gets traded away to a contender at 50% of the thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to ask you, did we end the Washington Capitals, the stadium series last year? Being at that game from... Yeah, I would yeah say. all three of us were there. Yeah, we were all there. Yeah, the, the first period... Definitely. The second period might have ended me that night. So too many, too many beers. Yeah, because you, you that was a that was a day drinking day. I didn't drink anything that day. That was a day drinking day for me, but I held on. That that, that was that was one of my big clips of no drinking that I went through. Um, and I had a lot of sodas that day. Oh, you didn't feel bloated at like so bloated. Oh my god. They had like I I only had like three sodas. Oh, I think. that's not bad then. So, uh, I think more did me in was like the five hot dogs I ate. So, Jacob, noted glissy gobbler. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to cut that. Your day drinking is beer. My day drinking is not because I don't drink beer. Right, yeah. Oh, oh, whiskey? It was whiskey. It's whiskey and uh, seltzers. That's a crisp special if I've ever heard one. Anyway, uh, another special is the Atlanta Thrasher special, which is having no attendance, which... Oh, guess who's having that issue right now? The Winnipeg Jets. They mm-hmm. recorded their lowest attendance at, I think, like a little over 11,000 the other day. And this this just could be a little bit of an issue for them. This comes right off the heels of this offseason sending a letter to their season ticket holders, basically saying, please buy tickets, we don't have corporate money. And then also right off the heels of giving Shifley and Hellebuck the matching seven-year deals with basically Screech. We aren't rebuilding. Look, here's a reason to come to our games. It didn't work. The marketing did not work, apparently. Yeah, no one's listening. Uh, and I think you were right when you said Thrashers. To be fair, they don't have internet in Winnipeg yet. So, like, I don't think... Did, like, the mail news let them know about the trade yet? Yeah, great great quote by Ilya Brzgalov on Winnipeg. Hey, who was your first classmate? Moose? I, this is the guy that left Phoenix because he was scared that they were going to move back. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think this is just... It's a small market, right? It's a small market. Those teams are going to struggle when they're not good. Winnipeg, it's not even like they're bad. It's just like they're mediocre. They are the new Minnesota Wild. I mean, I think the Minnesota Wild, to be fair, are still very much occupying the Minnesota Wild spot of Honestly, yeah, finish third or fourth right. in your division, maybe win a playoff series every year. Never be taken seriously as a contender. Have Subway jerseys. Sorry, cut that. We, we no, can't. No we, free ads. No free ads for Subway. Having the old North Star jerseys. Do I have any? No, no. I don't have any. But, yeah, so Winnipeg, honestly, yeah, I think it might be time to consider relocating that team. If the money's not there, especially players haven't wanted to go to that market since the team moved there. That's always been a spot where players did not want to be there. 
but it was always kind of saved under the, oh, well, while they're there, it's guaranteed money for the NHL. Where do you is, is it guaranteed money anymore? It would have to be somewhere in the West, or else Detroit and Columbus would throw a fit. I'd probably, you know, the NHL's been talking to Salt Lake City and Houston, probably whichever of those two options is more ready to support a team. Yeah, I, I think Houston or, would make sense. They're already in the Central. Move them to, um, have two Arizona teams. Two Arizona teams. Move them back to Atlanta. <laughs> Alpharetta. Do not do Alpharetta. Do not. Or have we learned nothing from Ottawa, Sunrise, need I go on? Move them to Regina. Move them just to rename them the Regina Jets, have all the same exact problems they have now. I, I mean, like, look, this is this is all... Canada's a much smaller country than the U.S., and I think, like, when I first got into the NHL, I was confused, like, well, if it's a Canadian sport, why are there so few Canadian teams? The population of the U.S. is over 300 million. Canada has under 40 million people living in that country. There's a very defined reason as to why Canadian teams struggle, uh, sometimes with attendance, why there's so few Canadian teams. And so, like, look, it's Canada's sport, and I, I appreciate it for what it is, and I appreciate, like, Canada's contributions to the sport, but they're not the U.S., and they'll never be. What, what, a little bit of American exceptionalism on the podcast today. Yeah, well, you, you can't see me waving my flag around. America. Yeah, I don't know where you would move Winnipeg to. Like, honestly, I, Houston makes a lot of sense. And just given, like you said, they're in the Central. The Jets theme kind of fits with Houston's uh, Space City so moniker. Fourth New York team, New York Jets. That would just confuse Jets fans. Portland could be a sne- uh, like a sleeper option. Oh, I'd too. love to see them play in Portland. I, I don't, I don't think you'll ever see an NHL team in Portland. You, you, Vancouver and Seattle are already really close, and I think adding Portland to the mix is just now. Granted, it depends what the population is. Because you know, with the NHL still being a gate-driven league, if they think that Portland, especially as a city, will embrace having an NHL team as one major pro team, you could fill a bar in there. Oh, uh, the Trailblazers exist. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, granted, you do have the Portland Timbers, the Seattle Sounders, and the Vancouver Whitecaps in the MLS. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I think it's possible. But I, I don't think the NHL is going to look right now to be like, oh, we can add more in the Pacific Northwest. No. I like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. But I think Houston makes more sense for the Jets. Oh, I agree. I, I'm just saying I personally like it. Something else I personally like is Patrick Kane as a Blackhawks fan. He, again, for anybody not in the know, his plan as a free agent is, hey, I just had hip surgery, I'm going to get healthy, then I'm going to choose where to sign. The three places reported by Sarah Bali that are interested in Kane or he has interest in are the Detroit Red Wings, the Buffalo Sabres, and the New York Rangers. None of which would require him to play defense at all. Yeah. I, I, I think okay, he played for the Rangers last year. The Rangers Trump. are also famously a world-class organization, too. Guys like being there. Yeah. He's from Buffalo. That makes sense. And then his best friend, Alex Debrinkit, plays in Detroit. So that they're all very logical. Detroit also has the cap space to make him work, so Detroit could also pay him more than the other two probably could. Does Buffalo have cap space? Probably not anymore. I, I would love to see him in Buffalo. I think that could help give them kind of a fun run to the playoffs. As a Red Wings fan, I would love to see him in Detroit. Buffalo, Buffalo currently has $9 million available. Someone LTIR? Dang, wow. Uh, 
and see, seeing Patrick Kane in Detroit would just be like Chris Chalios all over again. As somebody who's not old enough to remember Chris Chalios, Detroit Chalios has Blackhawk. 3.8. And then let's see. I mean, I feel like Kane's got to be thinking the same thing as Tarasenko. Like, hey, let me go somewhere where I, you know, at least I'm going to contend for the playoffs. I'm going to score a lot. And then I can get like a probably three-year deal from somebody and make some decent money before I retire. And the Rangers have 720000 it should also be noted, too, that um, in Saravalli's report, those were just the three front runners. Pretty much all other playoff teams or contenders are relatively in contention as well. Those are just the main three that are, at least as of right now, apparently, on the kind of forefront of his mind. Yeah, the Kane's doing the, I had hip surgery, so I'm going to take the hard part of the season off, and then I'll join a contender to try to get one more cup, which don't fault the guy at all. To circle back to uh, Carolina Hurricanes, you guys love to see Patrick Kane on the Canes? You I can't do. spell Canes without Kane. It'd be the new you can't spell Canes without Natchez. Also, we need offense desperately. Do we, though? Because, like, our offense right now is... We do in the playoffs. I, I think adding another star to that team doesn't hurt. I agree. And that's... We also have the core to cover for his defensive woes. Well, do we, though? I mean, going back to, like, the past few games, like, our defense is... is I, I'm willing to write off the last few defense is not a trend at this point. You go back to who we've been the last five years, and I do think we have the talent to cover for him. Yeah, the, the past five years is a greater indicator than the past six five games. games yeah. yeah, I agree. But I go back and forth on, on that. Um, do you think he'd switch his number coming here, or do you think Natchez would have to give his up? Uh, oh, geez. I, I don't want Natchez to give up his number because you can't spell Kings without Natchez. Um, I think if, it's just, if he comes and just signs like a one-year deal, which I don't even know how it would work because of issue. Um, we probably send someone a pick to take someone on or something. So the way the cap works in NHL is you get you accrue cap daily. So and then you also lose cap daily. So if you sign if he signs a one year contract, um, the AAV is going to only be in effect for that half a year. So if he retires, there's no there's no like a dead cap yet like there is in the NFL. So you're only on hook for the amount of cap that you've spent, and then I think it blows off the books the following season because he's not actually owed that money. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it could work out. I think it'd be fun to, like, let's say, in theory, bump Jarvis to center and just slot him in on that wing spot. Yeah. You, you could also do, getting into some of the cap gymnastics, you could do a heavy signing bonus, very, like, better minimum uh, contract so that the only part you're paying for the following season is the actual amount, not the same bonus. But also do a quote, sign and trade, have someone else sign him and then trade him to us for picks and prospects or something with cap retain. Arizona has entered the chat. I have no idea if the NHL would open it. That, I could see have, that have being him, a thing. Have him sign with Chicago just for uh, Chicago to retain uh, his salary. Yeah. The one thing I could see is the NHL being like, nope, that is clear cap circumvention vetoing it because the NHL hates fun. I like fun. I yeah. honestly have no problem with those style of like trades where it's like, I can follow the train of thought as to why it's cap circumvention, but in my mind it's not because cap space is an asset now. So if like a team wants to just sell their cap space, I think that's fine. Yeah, especially if they're giving something up for it too. If the NHL wants it to not be a thing, just make a set rule being like, hey, we're going to codify this. Yeah, get rid of... If you do this, you cannot do this. So. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason that that is on the rule books is for the Jets. Yeah. Not the Jets specifically, but just like the smaller market teams that have some 
cash flow issues. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that's really all I have on Patrick Kane. That's not only all I have on Patrick Kane. That's all I have for the podcast. You guys got anything? No, nah, I think I'm all good. Cool. That's been another episode of Store Morning Podcast. You have, I think we may be up to six of you now. Everybody who's listening, thank you. And See you next week. Yeah, have a good week. day, evening, night, whatever. See you next week.